Welcome to Transformers, the podcast about how business people and policymakers are creating a sustainable future. I'm your host, Kai Embren. My guests today are Matt Sanderson and Sasha Beslik, two influencers when it comes to the role of investment in the perspective of environment, social and governance framework called ESG. Mats Andersson has a degree in economics and has held previous management position at AP4, where he was um, the CEO. AP4 is a Swedish pension fund. Then also in SG Borsberg and Deutsche Bank and AP3 and Scandia Life. Mats also serves as a member of the board of Carnegie Fund and Conio and Global Challenge Foundation. He's an advisor to the French government regarding green bonds, CANFO, German Federal Fund, and tobacco-free portfolios. Mats has also been awarded as Chief Investment Officer Lifetime Achievements Award for his leadership of AP4 and his contribution to international projects on sustainable investments and climate. He also holds fifth place on the UN 100 most influential list in the category pensions and investments. Sasha Beslik uh, has worked at uh, Nordea Bank for many years as uh, head of sustainable finance. He went to work for the Swiss J Safra Bank as a senior executive in sustainable finance and business development until last September, when he joined the largest Danish pension fund, PFA, as head of sustainability. In September 2022, Sasha was appointed to be the Chief Investment Strategy Officer at SDG Impact Japan. In 2020, Sasha Beslik was ranked as world, the world's most influential person within green finance. He is the author of the book, Where the Money Tree Grows, and he is an ESG expert that helps large audience understand the ins and outs of SDG in this uh, weekly newsletter, ESG on Sunday. He has a BA in economics and journalism. Welcome, Mats and uh, Sasha. Thank you. Thank you very much, Guy. So, um, over the last few years, climate change has been a concern in the financial institution priorities and using environmental, social, and governance factors. How far advanced they are to transform our society within the planetarium boundaries and meet different targets in the Paris Agreement, SDGs, and the ESG emissions. This is not very clear, and how to build trust and minimize risk for greenwash. This is what we will talk about in today's Transformers. But uh, let me start with the question about um, the latest development looking into the capital market and climate change. But in a new state of climate action report tells us that no high emission sectors are decarbonizing rapidly enough to align with the Paris Agreement 1.5 degrees pathway. So the question is, will the capital market scale up and speed the inflow of capital that make the difference in the world that, we, uh, that is needed. Mats? It, what is frustrating, we know that the capital is there. We, we can find the trillions and trillions and trillions. We can also find the commitment that we want to put the capital to work. 
unfortunately it's not happening in a pace that that we we ought to have uh, and i think that ain't gonna happen until we put a fair price on carbon emission because once you put the fair price on carbon emission capital will be spent invested in dealing with esg in a more proper way because of the reason it makes sense economically and we need to make capital move uh, on on economical basis without that nothing's going to happen and that is exactly what we've seen in the past five years we know the commitments from from uh, the paris accord we we know the commitments and alliances that were formed uh, in, in glasgow but nothing really in the real world to me has happened or it hasn't happened fast enough in a way i completely agree with what mats is saying and i also think what's relevant to stress is the fact that the financial industry partly mirrors reflects the real economy and the real economy is uh, in many ways not really transforming fast enough in order to sort of tackle one of these biggest human civilization challenges that we are facing so you have this uh, expectation that financial industry somehow somewhere will take that sort of a leap of faith and and try to really shift capital ahead of of a uh, real economy which is something that is not really happening so i i'm completely in line with what mats is saying and i think also that uh, one of the probably the biggest uh, the question is that you know the, the regulation that you have in european union regulation that you have a discussion about in the us what will that have i mean what will that lead to i mean the co2 price and co2 emissions is of course the the silver bullet to uh, solve many of these things and i hope that we maybe you know in a, in the future we'll be able to agree on that but right now i i'm 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 very curious about you know where the regulations will push financial industry right now uh, is it a possibility to to get the capital going into the areas that we need to have investment in sasha Not, i you know i i think it is but i think so your question is quite i mean quite broad uh capital uh, investment i mean investments of capital in the solutions is there but it's probably not always there if you compare global north and global south i mean the global north is decarbonizing its consumption based economies uh, but still the biggest chunk of of uh, you know production based economies which are on the global south and global east are really not where they need to be i mean you have restart of coal power plants in in asia you have uh, i mean china is leading the in many ways transition in the ways how they invest in solar and and, and wind and so on but still i think the uh, the amount of capital that we are investing in so called mainstream economies still predominating uh, what you know compared to the sort of esg tilted and or climate tilted uh, investments Yeah, I, I agree with Sasha, and, and if I were to to add an, anything to this, I, I would say that that um, we 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 need to go from from actually commitments and and signing uh, different uh, alliances to actually do something in 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 real life. And again, as Sasha said, the silver bullet, I guess, is uh, having a price, a fair price on on carbon uh, emissions. And then, of course, I'm, I am worried, as everybody else, that 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 we're moving too too slow. And what I think is would be needed uh, on a global basis and regional basis is a map, a roadmap on how do we how, how do we get to 2050, and how do we become carbon emission neutral or carbon emission plus. 
because I don't see that in real life. As, and as you pointed out, Kai, I mean, the statistics we get is actually that carbon emissions are increasing, not decreasing, which ought to be extremely alarming. Uh, but I don't see that sort of shell waves going through the system right now. No, 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 you're right, Mats. And, and I think, you know, to add to what you're saying is also the, the, the mixed messages or so mixed signals that market is getting. So you have uh, new areas for drilling and extraction of oil and gas out of, you know, natural reserves in, uh, in, uh, in the US on the domestic uh, US market, you have, uh, you know, expanding uh, licensing of drilling oil and gas drilling in Norway. So in the same time, while we know that the reserves of fossil reserves should be staying in the ground. So you have this in the market, sort of a really sort of financial industry is thinking, okay, where exactly is this going to move now? Uh, we have energy that is security issues. It's not any anymore just a climate issue. It's also security issues. So it is a mixed messages that it's also creating a lot of trouble for, for transition. It, isn't it remarkable that we know that if we're going to meet the targets for 2050, we need to at least one third of known uh, oil Reserves. research should stay yeah. underground. Yeah. And yeah. The, the companies are still drilling for new oil. I mean, could anyone explain mm. how that is, is okay and how, why the world hasn't, hasn't reacted? stronger and, and, and more decisive. Yeah, and, and the UK government to invest in new exploration of oil and yeah. gas. Yeah. Out of the Scottish coast, yes, that's going to happen because they are looking what's happening in Norway and the US. So it's just a natural reaction. I, I think, you know, going back to, I think the finance and of course the business around the world, the global is affected physically and transitionally by climate change. But what I, who is not affected is politicians. And I think we are still lacking the political leadership in many countries in the world, you know, to really tackle, you know, to, to, to provide that roadmap Matt is talking about. And it's, isn't that, I mean, it's so, so surprising or, or worth noting that, that at least in Sweden, the average time to new election is about two years. Yeah. So you want to be reelected. And if you want to deal with ESG, you need to have the long-term perspective. But I mean, the politicians actually have on average two years. And, and I think that is reflected already in, in, in what, what we're seeing, unfortunately. So we need uh, stronger and clearer uh, leadership uh, from politicians, absolutely. Uh, let's go into the question about uh, the money we're talking about. It's a huge number of trillions that going into this sector, what we call ESG. And um, um, not every time the, the, the money used in the right way, but uh, it's more and more discussion about the greenwashing and uh, some financing sectors, actors uh, are using uh, their investment and are they accountable for it? Is it some sort of greenwash related to, to this amount of money that going into the capital market uh, on sustainability and ESG. So the investment management firm Morningstar removed more than 1,200 funds with a combine of $1.4 trillion in assets from its European sustainable investments list as they didn't have sufficient evidence to support the inclusion of their sustainable investment list. And the um, U.S. Security Exchange Commission removed Tesla for ESG claims. So 
Is it a, a risk that the ESG's investment don't stand scrutiny? Financial in the ESG industry, if we can call it an industry, has come to a crossroads where it needs to go through this purification purge. I mean, it has been sort of a taken over by marketing and PR departments in many of these banks and financial institutions for a simple reason that it's very profitable to sell ESG products because uh, you can gain you know, trust, reputation, you can make more money in many of the cases because the fees are much higher and so on. Depending if you're active or passive, it doesn't matter. But I think the, the uh, one of the biggest things that, and Mats took that up, is that if you look at the numbers and then you look at how the world looks like, you can ask yourself a question. So what, where are the results? Where are the results of all these investments? Mm -hmm. What do they actually create? So the, I think it's it's more the, the the boomerang effect going back to the market saying that, okay, guys, you, you promised, you committed, you do all of these things, but we don't see any tangible results. Our industry is leading of, of a very big, I think, illness, and that illness is about illness of, of no results. We have big difficulties to show results. And that's something that is going to uh, clear out many of these things, I think, in the next couple of years. Do we need to speed up uh, and change the regulation? Yeah, I think European... I, I, yeah, I, yeah I, I think that... that I don't think that the, the solution to all this is more of regulation. And, and, and let me explain why. Because I think that ESG um, is definitely a, a moving target. It, it's changing. We know more today than we did yesterday, etc. So, so by having regulators telling us what is green and non-green is would could end up in a disaster because if they if they get it wrong uh it will take years before they can re redo it and i think that the best way forward is to have self-regulation which doesn't mean no regulation it means that you have regulation but you can actually quicker move to adoption whenever you need to uh so, so again and and since there is no one silver bullet except for a price on, on carbon i think we should say that it's fine find your way to do this and let the hundred flowers bloom and and be transparent in what you do and then you can evaluate this but i don't believe in more regulation i don't be, believe that regulators will move the flag in the right direction uh, on, on this unfortunately EU regulation on, you know, uh, defining EU taxonomy, defining green assets being nuclear and gas is putting a lot of renewable energy at disadvantage in, in because many of these industries, gas and nuclear, are usually uh, subsidized heavily by, uh, you know, uh, national governments in order to protect their own energy security and all of these things. And uh, renewable energy is not necessarily uh, supported in that way. And we've said, we, we have seen that in Sweden in a debate that is going on on you know, various types of, of energy sources. So uh, I agree. I don't think that regulation per se will, will increase uh, 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 the ability of the industry to do the right things. Uh, and I agree, you will see a lot of different approaches. And I think the future of ESG will be much more regional and much more different in a way how it's applied on a different parts of the world to actually create the transition instead of having a one sort of a solution that fits all. But then we are not far away from, from the question of reporting, scoring, and ranking. And uh, there are claims that reporting and ranking on social and governance of ESG investments leave room for desire. 
How do you see this? Is it the global problem? Oh, yes, it is. It's a global problem. And I think, you know, we have to move from corporate conduct ratings. I call them a corporate conduct ratings, not really looking at the business model ratings and products and services. If you, you could look at these ratings as, as, you know, MSCI and all of these other providers, they are actually assessing, you know, corporate conduct in terms of do companies have right policies addressing the right issues? Do they take uh, up right things in the reports and so on? But not really looking at what products are they do, uh, producing and how are these products contributing to these transitions? So we need to move from, you know, what Matt says is from the words to action. And action is on a business model. And that's something that needs to change because the current rating models that we have, and, and I'm talking about all of it because I have access to most of it, is not really assessing the the sustainability on a product level. And that's because we lack the scope three data in many cases, but there are companies doing that. Carlsberg is a, you know, uh, one of the Danish companies that have done a lot of work on, on putting the, you know, uh, scope three emissions in a way that you can have a product, you know, the, the, the sort of a beer in the hand CO2 emissions. Well, how much is it actually when you buy a product? What does it mean for you? And that, this is where I think where we need to move. And Matt's, uh, how is it with the transparency in the field of reporting? I, I think that I, I think that due to to um, harder regulation, I mean, you you make companies report in 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 a way that doesn't always reflect the underlying reality or or the the, the, the threats. Uh, so, but I, I also to, to echo uh, Sasha uh, would say that. Let, let the world be be um, led by leaders. I mean, like Carlsberg. I mean, if they do things right and do it in in a transparent way, others can can follow. Uh, and again, I don't think you you should or, or could compete actually in the field of ESG. It's something where you come together and you share your experience and you try to find ways going going forward. Um, then also, uh, if I were to add anything, I would say that, that don't forget the G in ESG, governance, because if we want to, to, to really address this, we need to have this backed by the owners, governance. So we need to make sure that you have a board that reflects uh, mm -hmm. the will of the owners. And I think there is a lack of G in a lot of places, not the least in, in Japan, Sasha, I don't know if you were to... I'd like to, to add to that. Yeah, I am very much aware of that, working with this, uh, with these kind of investments in Japan now. And I think you're right, because it's more like an EGS than ESG, because the G is probably in the middle, uh, you know, supporting the implementation on both sides, making sure that things are happening. And that's not really the case, because the governance angle in many cases in Japan and, and many other uh, places in the world and many other industries is the sort of a, the, the sore point, the point where companies having a difficulty to, to grip basically through the means of how they steer the companies, how they can make things happen. And it is the feeling that you can get in Japan and many other places is that it's almost like a makeup, you know, they do all that, they tick all the boxes. But when, when you start talking to company and engaging with the company and getting to the understand how they do it, you realize that this is something that is really not you know, part of the fabric of the company, yeah. Uh, Sasha, you are now in, in Japan as a yeah. chief investment strategy officer at uh, SDG Impact Japan. 
what's your view on uh, Japan's focus on ESG? Can we learn something from the Japanese ESG thinking? I think we can maybe learn a couple of things, and that's that they are very curious about how to link some of the things that, that ESG is about to the business model, because they are very commercial in a way how they want to you know, deploy the knowledge from the ESG on, on, on the way how they can develop the commercial business. That's something that many Western companies probably uh, still have a lot of work to do. On the other hand, it's this is a very mature market, but still underdeveloped in terms of both approaches and you know it's very um, centric, Japan centric. So so they have their own view on on uh, corporate shared value. It's a big thing in Japan. SDGs are a very big thing in Japan. All of the UN driven initiatives have a very big spread in Japan. But if you look at the way how disclosure looks like in Japan, you, there is a lot to wish because disclosure level on, especially on the mid cap segment that I'm investing in, it's, it's uh, something that can be much better. And how is it with the governance, the G in ESG? They have been improving last couple of years. They, they, uh, the, the Japanese governance challenges are related to the, you know, composition of the boards, the, the duration of the board members, non-executive representation and so on. They have improving. Some of the companies I have had interactions with have completely sort of shifted the board, the governance structure in order to mirror and reflect demands from the West. However, it's a still very uh, hard to penetrate market on the governance. If you don't have local knowledge, if you don't understand the language, if you don't have the right context, you will not even get admission to a company. So it's very much dependent on understanding the local context. When we talk about the pension funds and uh, ESG sector and sustainable finance sector and uh, global institutional pension funds assets in the 22 largest markets have reached a new record, 56 trillion, trillion by the end of 2021. And you, as early as 2012, as a CEO of AP4 Pension Fund, started to invest in low carbon strategies at the first investment in green bonds. When you're looking back to the time when you implemented your strategy, what is the achievement and the lesson learned from this time, Mats? Let's put it this way. I mean, number one, number one re reflection is that this all started because I was questioned uh, from my, my mentor who asked me, how do you deal with climate change as a financial risk as a long-term investor? Finally made me understand, yes, as a long-term investor, you need to have a view on this. Uh, so I decided to, to uh, see what others are doing. You don't need to invent the wheel again. So I traveled for one year and I met 10 of the 20 largest pension funds. And I asked them about risk and they came back to me and said it, it was all related to volatility, which to me is rubbish. Uh, and then I asked them, what's, what's your exposure to climate change? And none of them in 2011, none of them had any idea that it was a risk that they should have on the radar. Uh, and of course, no one had done anything about it. That's why we, sort of invented um, the low carbon indices. So looking back, this is 10, 10 years ago, things have definitely changed. You wish it would have changed even, even faster. 
but still there is a huge change. And if you don't know about the risk, if you don't realize the risk, you will never mitigate it. So I think you'll come to a point where everybody realizes that it is a risk. But now the question is, how do we mitigate it? And, and again, I'm of, of the view that let the hundred flowers bloom, do it whatever way you want, be transparent. <clears throat> if I would have done it the, this, this journey again, I would say that I wish I had been more bold uh, than I was, uh, but again, I had to fight for this. Uh, I wouldn't say against, but I, I, it was a tough one to convince my board members that this was the right strategy and we should as a long-term investor. Once we realized afterwards that we actually lowered the risk in the portfolio and we actually got excess return, then everybody was happy. And I think this is extremely crucial to understand that um, ESG is not about looking good. It's not about charity. It's all about economic decisions. And once you get those parameters in the right place, money will actually start going in the right direction. So, and, and then I then you realize also from this journey that that the challenge when you are evaluated on a two or three year basis, then ESG is a random factor. If you have a horizon of 10 years, it definitely becomes a very important topic or um, issue to deal with um, in every respect. Uh, so those are a few of, of my thoughts from, from the journey. Mm. Uh, Do you made. see that the pension funds today have learned a lesson and, and uh, looking into what you, you did? I, I think definitely yes. I think we might have a bit of a hiccup now when we have the war in Ukraine. Uh, we have energy prices going through the roof. Uh, so, so I think everybody is a bit upside down and don't know really where to go. Uh, and you have a tendency more than ever to look at the short term rather than the long term. But I think at the end of the day, if the risk of CO2 is wrongly priced, which I strongly believe there will be money made if you can address that in a proper way. Mm. Not mm. on a yearly basis, not, not even on a on two year or three year, but on a 10 year basis, absolutely. And that's where you should have your focus. But to make that happen, you need to have owners, you need to have boards that are willing to take this stance, which is not a given uh, in my view. Uh, let's uh, go a little bit more deep into the financial institutions and uh, talk about uh, leadership. Uh, and uh, are there enough with incentives uh, in place for a change maker in the financial institution to show leadership today? Uh, what a question, Kai. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a very tough question. But, uh, you know, my conclusion, my, my answer to that question is that and this is my experience. I've been in the financial industry for a long time. Uh, Mats has been there probably longer, but uh, it's it's uh, in many cases very lazy industry and leadership. You know, leadership means that you need to fight for something, not against something, but fight for something. And I think you know uh, when ESC is becoming so uh, nice to have and good to have on your CV and good to have you on know, a LinkedIn profile and all of these things, it's becoming career path. People don't necessarily want to fight for something. They just want to go along. So we need more sort of uh, disruptors, more leaders that sort of a step forward and do things that are a bit different outside the box. 
And you can't have that in organizations that have a cultures that, you know, you cannot, uh, you know, have a different view or you cannot challenge the, the more senior management on, on how things are done or, you know, what priorities are. Well, if, if I were to add uh, any, anything to that, uh, I would say that one thing that might be, be missing a bit to, to make things change is that I often speak to, to CEOs and, uh, of, of pension funds, etc. And, and I ask them, do you have a mandate to invest yourself? Um, that's really the case. So even though you might have a CEO or a board that has a view on this, as long as you don't have a mandate, nothing will happen. And that, I think, was one of the, the mm. forgot to mention at AP4, when the board gave me and my CIO, Magnus, uh, the mandate to actually invest, we took the decision to have a view on ESG uh, as a, a position uh, on, on us, not on, on the head of equity or, or, or fixed income, whatever it is. And that kicked us out. And then we couldn't point fingers uh, at anyone. So we need to do something and we did. And I think that I wish that every head uh, of, of asset uh, mm. managers uh, or owners actually had their own mandate so they could actually show what they, what they believe. Because today it's a lot of words. They can say, we believe in this, but nothing's happening because you don't have the tool or the toolbox to make it happen. Is it any good network that you will say something interesting to follow to be a leader in this uh, change-making role? I think that going back again the 10 years, I mean, there were no real uh, alliances, organizations uh, of pension funds, or at least there were no CEOs, no CIOs. You usually had one person being responsible for communication and sustainability. You had the report every year, nobody really cared. Um, so that has definitely uh, changed. And, and I think that it is important to actually uh, have a stronger view and, and, and uh, uh, guidelines on, on, on this. Thanks much. No, 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 you're right about that. I think the... Uh... You know, from my angle, how to follow and get the inspiration or follow the leadership. I'm looking because I'm investing, so I'm making these investment decisions uh, for for the stuff that we're doing in Japan. And uh, you know, looking at the companies, I get a lot of inspirations looking not in the corporate sector to see what they are actually trying to do in different sectors, how they are, you know, mixing up, uh, you know, artificial intelligence with other solutions, trying really to find a way uh, to do that. In the financial industry, I have to say, you know. There are some initiatives, there are some networks and so on, but but all of that for me still is not really leading to any tangible change. I want to see, you know, change on the ground in Bangladesh, in Pakistan, in, you know, in DRC, uh, all of the other places that are getting affected by this. And that's not what, you know, uh, what I see. And that's also probably the reason why I don't see that kind of inspiration uh, in these kind of networks, yeah. If there were no alliances, uh, 10 years ago, today we might have too many alliances mm -hmm. and those alliances being so huge in terms of, so it, it's, it's more or less only paperwork because if, if, if you should 
trying to have a, a alliance or a coalition, whatever it is, I think the number should not be more than 10 to mm. actually make things happen. And you should get people from different corners of the world. And, and, and since I'm now living in, in, in South Africa, I, I know that the South actually needs uh, support. I, I have a dream that, that, that one day you can actually find 100 uh, alliances with five or 10 uh, pension funds or long-term investors in each of them. And you can start sharing the, the, the real stuff and the real work you have to do. Sasha uh, said earlier that uh, he looking into the corporate sector and their experience of how they have been driving change and their networking models. And uh, I remember how uh, an earlier adapter of climate strategy was uh, Interface, the biggest um, carpet producer in the world. Uh, they in, already in 1990 uh, developed a mission uh, to go to net zero emissions. And we can see how they have sort of succeed in their work and, and also how they use different tools of incentives to, to also inspire the employees in the, in, in the company to, to drive change with the bonus for sustainability. And maybe that's something also for the financing sector to look at in the corporate sector that you have model for change. And uh, it could be also interesting for, for the young generation uh, as, uh, as its manager um, what should they look at and, and if they have high ambitions? Do we need another incentive structure in the financial sector? We maybe, yeah, you, you're right about that. But I think what we need is to, we need to change educational models as well. But mm -hmm. Because the way how we educate economists and financial analysts today is, is belongs to 1980s. It's not, it's still not, you know, in line with where we are today. And you can imagine now that we are examining, you know, millions of economists and financial people around the world who are going to continue maintaining the system the way it has been maintained for the last 35, 50 years. I mean, that needs to change. We need to get, I mean, I, I have these experiences. I still have them, you know, hiring financial analysts out of the school, you know, you have internships and then you have a programs. And then you ask them, can you give me your opinion about this environmental report? And he looks or she looks back at you saying that, you know, I, I didn't read, I learned in school how to do that. I don't know, I don't understand what, why, this, why this is important. So, you know, we are focusing, and I understand we do that, on the emissions, yes. But if you go all the value chain back, we also need to start looking at the way how we can educate people that will support this transition. Mm. So what is your advice to the young generation of asset manager in the financial sector? Be bold. Hmm. That's... Be bold. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't I, be afraid. I, I... Don't be don't be afraid. No. And 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 realize that running a business is not running something for, for a week or a year or a couple of years. You should have the long term view on, on the things you're doing. And if you have the long term views, I think that you will get most of the Sort of factors that, that, that you need to deal with uh, in, in the right perspective and hopefully better dealt with. And you know it's 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 almost it's one one more thing to add it's this is not a walk in a park it's not I mean look it's you when you work with this you're taking on some of the big things I mean big challenges so people need to be also prepared that it's not just a career it's 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 actually mm -hmm. takes a takes time as Matt says it's a long-term thing it's not next year year, year two it, it's it's a long term 
I've been down to, to the Stockholm School of Economics a couple of times and, and, and um, shared with the students my, my, my view on, on ESG, etc. And it's pretty obvious that, that uh, as Sasha pointed out, that, that if you look at the stuff they're reading uh, and are educated on, ESG has not been part of it so far. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm trying to tell them that, that if, if you meet the CEO of Volvo, Scania, whatever, they will all tell you, if you don't understand ESG, I mean, don't, don't come here. <laughs> uh, so there is a gap, in my view, between where management in public companies are or, or businesses and where education is. And that gap needs to be closed and, and the sooner the better. Sustainability strategy is not always straightforward, but it seems to be a need of both speed and scale up with involvement of shareholders and stakeholders, supply chain strategies, smart incentives for regulation, procurement action, and an overall system thinking in the sustainable finance strategy to come. So um, I hope uh, the listener today have uh, get a little bit of uh, an insight and inspiration. So I will say thank you both to Mats and Sasha for today, but uh, keep the dialogue on. Thank you very much. Thanks thank for you. inviting us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I'm Kai Embren. Follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn where I will be announcing the future guests to this podcast. And you can expect about two programs a month. And each guest has a unique story of making business and society sustainable. So find out more. Visit my homepage, kaiembren.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>